You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're interviewing Winthrop Professor of Medicine, Gerald Watts, who is head of the Metabolic Research Centre and Lipid Disorders Clinic at Royal Perth Hospital, as well as chair of the Familial Hypercholesterolemia Australasian Network. Hi, Gerald, and welcome. Thank you, Sean. So, Gerald, you spent a lifetime investigating and treating FH. First of all, at a pathophysiological level, what is it? Well, FH is an inherited type of early heart disease due to a uh, significant elevation in the plasma cholesterol concentration that is a consequence of an inherited abnormality in the clearance of so-called LDL cholesterol by the liver. So it's an inherited disorder, it's dominant, it's got a high prevalence, it's got a high penetrance, it breeds true in families, and if you're unfortunate to have two parents with a condition, you have homozygous FH, which is very rare, but more typically, the uh, patients that we encounter are those with so-called heterozygous FH, where one allele is defective. So it's very much like the colour of your eyes and freckles is a dominant disorder. It's one of your parents have it's a one in two chance of having it. Mm, okay. So how common is it then in Australia? Well, formerly thought to be one in 500 in the population. Recent estimates, are based on more precise clinical tools, uh, suggest that one in 200 to one in 300 of the population have it. In other words, in WA there are 10,000 people with familial hypercholesterolemia, of which 3,000 of them are children. An interesting statistic is that there is one child uh, born every minute throughout the world with familial hypercholesterolemia. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. So as an average full-time GP who has, say, a 1,000 patients on their book, how many then would they have in their standard practice? About four to five patients with heterozygous FH from one or two families. If you've got a practice of 10,000, expect about 40 patients with FH from about eight to 10 families. Wow. So, I mean, I've got a bit of an increased antennae, I guess, for FH, and I wouldn't have that on my book. So really what you're saying is there's a huge number of undiagnosed people with FH out there. Correct. Just to give you an idea, in Australia, about 95% of the people with FH in the community remain undiagnosed. In Western Australia, we've done a little bit better with 80% uh, uh, still undiagnosed, similar to the UK. But as you can imagine, there is a large shortfall and the major shortfall in the detection of children, of which less than 2% remain detected. Wow, less than 2%. Okay. So there's a huge role there for general practitioners? Absolutely. I think there is a major role for general practitioners in the care of FH. Okay, so if we're going to undertake screening in Australia, what is the most cost and time effective way to do this? Okay, there are three methods of screening for FH. One is opportunistic screening, which is what you normally do in primary care. We also do it in coronary care, looking for potential cases amongst those with hypercholesterolemia or premature coronary disease. The other approach is the systematic approach of cascade testing and an approach which is not practice, which I think is the future in my view, is universal screening combined with cascade testing. The reality is that all methods of screening should be integrated in a manner that is effective and appropriately funded with adequate resources. In primary care there are algorithms 
based on data extraction tools for identifying FH patient from electronic health records such as the Tarbex tool in WA, in the UK the FAMCAT and in the US the SEARCH tool. The aim of these tools when you interrogate your databases is to narrow down the people who have FH for early treatment and for more efficient referral to specialists. Now, universal screening of children at immunisation followed by parent-child cascade testing, in my view, would be the best backbone method for detecting FH in the community, supplemented by the other methods that I've referred to. The best methods for detecting FH in primary care are being investigated at present as part of an NHMRC partnership grant between primary care and specialist care throughout Australia. Okay, so you're saying at the time of immunisation, that, that's an interesting one. How would that work in practice? In practice, it's being tested at the moment as part of a paediatric research fellowship in combination with primary care. At the age of two at immunisation, it's a heel prick for a cholesterol measurement. If a cholesterol level is above a certain cut-off point of five millimoles per litre, you can diagnose FH and then you can reverse cascade test the parents. So that's been piloted at the moment for proof of principle. It's been done in the United Kingdom and shown to have a high yield and potentially cost effective. And more importantly, we have carried out surveys in the community and the community is supportive that for such a high risk condition as FH, this should be implemented at an early age. I'd just like to come back to the risk of FH that uh, untreated, the risk of a coronary event uh, is 20 to 50 fold. Another important statistic is that it accelerates coronary artery disease by 15 years if you've got heterozygous FH and by 30 years if you've got homozygous FH. It reduces life expectancy and early detection, particularly at an early stage, can result in up to 15 uh, years healthy life years gains. So therapy is, is vital, it reduces suffering for families and reduces healthcare costs. Yeah, definitely something that we should be looking for more aggressively and, and certainly treating aggressively. So if I can sort of give you the Sean Stevens thumbnail sketch of how I approach FH, and this is opportunistic in the extreme, when I see an LDL of greater than five, which is one of the Dutch lipid criteria, I undertake a formal Dutch lipid score. Now, speaking to my colleagues, a lot of people don't know of or don't use the Dutch lipid score. Can you just run us through that and how that stratifies people? Well, the most accurate method for diagnosing FH is genetic testing, but owing to the unavailability of genetic testing, clinical scoring systems, such as the Dutch Lipid Clinic Network score, there are other scores in the UK, Simon Broom, and the MedPed in the US have been developed. So basically the Dutch Lipid score gives you a uh, numerical number for the probability of having FH on the basis of your family history of high cholesterol and coronary heart disease. You get one point. For a personal history of coronary heart disease, it's two points. For clinical signs, which are actually quite rare, like tendons anthomas and arcus cornealis, you can get up to 10 points. And for an LDL cholesterol, you get a number of points proportional to the level of LDL cholesterol. For example, your case, Sean, of greater than 5 millimoles per litre would give you a score of itself of 3. But if you're greater than, uh, say, 8 millimoles per litre, you'll get a much higher score. So, I mean, the, the Dutch Lipic score predicts FH mainly driven by the level of LDL cholesterol. 
But I have to emphasise one thing about the Dutch score is that it's a score for diagnosing FH in adults and it's a score that you can't use when you're cascade testing mm. because of the high pretest probability. So it's only for index cases. So you will end up with four possibilities. A score of greater than eight is definite. A score of greater than five or between five and eight is probable. Between three and five, it's possible and below three it's unlikely. Okay and just for our listeners if you wanted to use the Dutch lipid score if you googled familial hypercholesterolemia Australasia Dutch lipid score it will come up and it's a very simple easy Correct. to use Correct. and I think it's very good for us busy GPs who are beavering away seeing probably half the patients we see every yeah. day have a readily available recent cholesterol score. Correct. So in your clinic, so a tertiary clinic diagnosing and managing FH, and presumably the same for all lipid clinics across Australia, you're inundated. Your waiting lists are huge. Apart from starting a statin, what can we GPs do before they reach the clinic? Well, I mean, the point is that the familiar hypercholesterol is a public health issue, right? So the GP is central to solving this problem. A GP can have important roles. Firstly, you can be part of an FH network for the community of doctors that are interested in the condition. You should be involved in detecting index cases using the data extraction tools like Tarbex or FAMCAT, putting people on registries, and we can organise that. You can also undertake limited cascade screening of first-degree relatives, especially children, that'll be in your practice. Those are two very important things. In our view, and this is a model of care that has been developed with Tom Brett and Alistair Miller, Jackie Garten-Smith and others, that there is a very strong case for the low-risk patients with FH should be managed in primary care and followed up but in primary care provided they're in a, a registry. When you do cascade testing, you will note that you will find people with FH or on statins, and they've been appropriately treated on statins, but they may not be treated to target LDL cholesterol less than 2.5 without CHD or less than 1.8 with CHD, coronary heart disease. So therefore, in those people who can intensify the dose of the statin to reach target. We can be involved in shared care arrangements with specialists uh, and also integrate care with the use of nurse specialists and nurse practitioners in the community. GPs should get involved in research and the success of the recent NHMRC partnership grant. It's important that primary care physicians support new initiatives, such as the initiative of universal screening of children and reverse cascade testing of parents. And I think one other point is that you remain in regular consultation with specialists for advice. Uh, you referred about clinics being inundated one model we particularly like is having telephone conversations or e-communication over patients. So there's about 10 things that GPs can do and I have to say we wouldn't be here where we are in the management of this condition which is a paragon of other conditions in the pipeline without primary care. Mm. Thank you, yeah. And certainly your clinic is very good at that. You can send an email, you can send a fax, and you're able to speak to yeah. senior people like yourself Anytime. and get advice, which is great. So when do you think it's reasonable to refer? What sort of indicators are there that would suggest that you should refer to a clinic? Well, I think if you've shown that the Dutch score is greater than 5, i.e. probable to definite FH, GP can think of two things. 
If the patient is low risk and it's an uncomplicated clinical situation, that could be managed in primary care. You know, that was the sort of intention. If you can readily do cascade testing, i.e. the tracing of first-degree relatives uh, who may have the condition in your uh, practice, they should remain with you and uh, in your ambit and put on a registry. But if you find cascade testing difficult because there's extended family outside the ambit uh, of your practice, they should be referred uh, centrally. Complicated patients should certainly be referred those with very early or very early premature coronary heart disease, those with multiple risk factors, women with FH who are about to get pregnancy, other inherited risk factors such as elevated LP little a, and certainly people with severe FH, so-called homozygous FH, all those we want to see and return them back to your care. So there's a little bit of thinking to be done here. You may have a little paradox, what do you do with a possible FH with a scores between 3 and 5? Now, the majority of those people, 85 to 90%, will not have FH. But because it's difficult to tie down the family history of coronary heart disease, that may not be clear. The score may, in fact, be higher than that. And if you have any suspicion that you're dealing with the FH, even though the scores between 3 and 5, I think I would refer them on for assessment for genetic testing. Mm. Now, this is important because in this day and age of biological therapies for targeting LDL cholesterol to very low levels, we have available PCSK9 monoclonal antibodies. So if you think your patient is not a target and you haven't got a diagnosis of FH but a strong suspicion, DNA testing, if positive, can get them over the line. Of course, the other reason for referring to the specialist is PBS criterion for commencement of a PCSK9 monoclonal antibody that they need to be seen by a specialist. But this will probably change in time. Mm. Just briefly, yes. tell us about the canine monoclonal antibodies because a lot of GPs aren't familiar with those. As I understand it, they're very expensive, yeah. they're specialist yeah. only, and they're for people who don't reach target on a statin. Is that correct? Correct, yes. PCSK9 is a natural substance that inhibits the LDL receptor pathway, so you don't want it around. When you go on a statin, paradoxically, your PCSK9 levels go up and you limit the effectiveness of the statin. So you want to get it out of the way. And the way you get it out of the way is by directing an antibody at PCSK9 and it'll drop your cholesterol incremental to the statin by an extra 60%. The current PBS criteria for assisted use of Rapatha, the registered and approved PCSK9 monoclonal antibody that is PBS approved, is that if you've got coronary heart disease, you have to be on ezetimibe, maximal doses of statins, and your LDL cholesterol has to be greater than 3 millimoles per litre. If you haven't got coronary heart disease or on those therapies, your LDL cholesterol has to be greater than uh, 5 millimoles per litre. There are a couple of escape clauses that if you can't tolerate a statin, you must be on ezetimibe, and the same criteria apply for the cutoff points. Okay. Thank you. And just briefly tell me about the reverse cascade and cascade screening. Right. So would that be done with just a cholesterol test? Or? Yes, it can be done with cholesterol and with genetic testing, but there is no Medicare rebate for genetic testing at the moment. So cascade testing is a recognised evidence-based process for identifying, informing and treating relatives of index cases or probands that have a dominantly inherited condition. 
So there is a major indication for cascade testing in conditions such as hereditary breast and ovarian cancer, Lynch's syndrome of colonic cancer, and familial hypercholesterolemia. They're all tier one recommendations. So cascade testing is evidence-based. It allows early prevention and detection and adherence to therapy. It's been shown to be cost-effective. You can give reassurance of people in the family that are worried that may not have the condition, and it's supported by international guidelines and by patient advocacy. However, there are challenges for primary care. One is that you do need skills and resources to risk notify families. The risk notifications of families, whether you're doing it with a cholesterol test or with a genetic test, is constrained by privacy laws. You just can't approach other family members. There are poor communication and psychological, psychodynamic issues within families that impair cascade testing. There's a lack of reimbursement at the moment for genetic testing, as you know. How much is the genetic testing? DNA tests for FH is about $1,000. When you do cascade testing, is about 100 There is a proposition at the moment from expert bodies to get a Medicare rebate for it. Mm. I should also like to say two important things about cascade testing, that it's not suitable for population screening because cascade testing only works if you're pouring index cases into the system, right? Mm, If you're not pouring cases into the system, you would only detect 15, 20% of people in the community. So if we're serious in a large country like Australia to identify over 80% of the people, we need alternative methods or supplementary methods of identifying FH together with cascade testing. And this is the rationale behind the backbone method of universally testing children at an early age. Reverse cascade testing is where you identify the child as the index case as an early stage and cascade screen upwards to detect one of their parents or both of their parents, they're unlucky enough, before they've had a heart attack. Mm. The way we're doing it at the moment is classically is waiting for that heart attack in coronary care, identifying the index case and working downwards. So I think the other challenge for all methods of detection for primary care, that none of these screening methods are particularly well integrated at the moment. Mm. So we have to find a very effective method of working between in primary care, with government support, um, with a background of specialists, to integrate and make the detection of FH uh, uh, cost-effective. Great. Look, thank you very much for your time today, Gerald. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure you'll be seeing a lot more referrals and a lot more cases of FH after this podcast goes live. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you for the invite.